Feeling better? Looking better? Making life better? It's Life Tips. Life, life, life. We'll explore the latest innovations, introduce you to the latest products, and bring you the tips from experts and environmental pioneers to help you lead a better life. Life, life, tips. life tips. Making your life smarter, better, faster, wiser. Here are your hosts. Welcome back to Life Tips Show, everybody. Here with Kenny. Kenny, welcome. Thank you, Byron. Thanks for having me. We are going to go fishing today together. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait, man. I love fishing. (laughs) So do I, actually. Uh, We'll talk about that later, actually. But your book, The Big Fish Experience, create memorable presentations that reel in your audience. Love the title. Love the the whole angle you're you're taking here. And, of course, your company name ties in with Big Fish as well. But um, tell us a little bit, why do so many PowerPoint presentations, presentations overall. Why do so many presentations suck? You know, Byron, the thing that presentations suck, I love it when presenters blame the PowerPoint or the keynote and they don't realize the biggest thing when it comes to presentations is the presenter because people will always remember the presenter more than the presentation. And quite frankly, presentations suck because presenters don't prepare, they overcomplicate, and they try to overcompensate by having too many slides. The real, real, real great presentations are the ones that have very simplistic content, engaging design, but really powerful delivery as well. In the end of the day, what do you think the goals of a presentation? Let's just use a, an, an hour-long presentation, a deeper presentation, you know, a, a keynote, if you will. What are the goals of that keynote? And how important is the content itself, obviously, versus the the storyteller um, and versus the elements of that storytelling? So every keynote, no matter how large or small, should have a call to action. That's the first goal is what is the call to action for this presentation? You should be able to move your audience somewhere, whether it's emotionally, logically, Usually it's emotionally because people tend to make decisions more on emotion than logic. You want to find a way where you can move people to follow you, to believe in you, to give you money, to believe in your cause. But really every good keynote should have, and the goal should be to have a call to action to move people. And when you, when you say move people, that's kind of an interesting concept. Is that the purpose? Is that the reason? Is that, if you will, a license to have them spend time with you to educate and acclimate them on either what you want them to do and why you want them to do it or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what it is? I mean, how, how do you earn that right to move people or to get them to take action? How important is that? For one thing, it's very, it's very important because people tend to be moved with the people they like. So when it comes to great presentations, I guess I should rephrase that. For every good keynote, there are two goals. One is to appear likable, is that if you're likable, people are more likely to forgive you if you screw up in your presentation or believe in what you have to say. And this is great, especially if you're in sales. The second is to have a call to action that's a clear showcase of this is what the audience should do next. No one likes to give a dead-end presentation where they get inspired with no future toward them. Give the audience a future they can aspire towards. That's why it's so important to have, you know, the essence of likability. That's how you move people too, Byron, is like if you're, if you're likable, people will listen. Hmm. Let's talk about moving people to being good presenters. Um, how, how, how difficult is that? How 
screwed up are most of us that give presentations quite often um, in the way we think about presentations and, and how do you transform somebody into the methodology you talk about in the book? Is this something you can read? Do you need to practice it? What are the, how, how do you move somebody to, to become a great presenter? Well, the first thing is that we want to make sure they have their own process. So rather than, so this is actually what we do in the office is that rather than just all we do is just make pretty pictures, presentation design all day, we actually have a full out process of first we help people with content before people go on even in design. And this is a common problem is that people put pen to paper so quickly for design, they forget that they should write their presentations first. We help people write their presentations first, lock down the content, make sure it's great, then we build the design off of it. That's actually a very common problem that we see today is that people, when they feel like they don't have a lot of time, they actually design first and give presentations or at least like create the content at the same time. We heavily suggest against that. We suggest creating the content first, then going to the design, then practicing with it all together by focusing on each you're able to focus and get more input and more mental power toward that. That's very, very, very handy because at the end of the day, if you try to do two things at once, it's very hard by But to answer your question in a much more simplistic way, it's really, at the end of the day, it's about practice. Practice this process at home where once you get used to it, you can honestly do it for any type of presentation. Find your own process, content, design, and delivery. I want to go to content and let's focus on that. And just your your chapter headers alone are quite fascinating. I'm going to pluck a couple of them out that I want to ask you about, but I'm just going to read them quickly. So, you know, research, you know, the big idea, a simple central message, the opener, the story, data, call to action, structure, lines that stick, and make anything interesting. I want to talk about the latter one, which is to make anything interesting. I think I'm actually pretty good at that. <laughs> um, but but let's start with, with um, the, this, the, this important opener. You know, I get so worked up with my opener of any presentation I'm going to give. Um, how critical is that, and why is it literally a separate sub-chapter, if you will? Well, the opener is your first impression. It's really like the first thing that you do when you get on stage, the first seven seconds, your opener to immediately capture the audience, that's so critical and important when it comes to developing likability. If you walk out on stage and have a negative face, for example, people perceive you as a very angry person or a very negative person. If you come out smiling like you're excited to be here without even saying anything, that could be your opener right there. It's just immediately when you, your foot touches the stage. Some people even say, like, right when you walk on stage, just pause. Because if you pause, everyone will focus on you because it's almost awkward. Then you begin your presentation. Pausing actually is a very big power move because you demand attention from everybody. So it's so important by when it comes to like developing openers is that from the moment you step on stage, it's not only what you say, how you say it, but your body language as well. Now, developing the overall content, you having your clients, for example, and your, your readers actually create you know, the, a script, if you will, write it out, write a 2,000-word speech out um, to dig and dive into the details? Are you working on outline first? Or are you just gathering lots of ideas and putting them together? Um, how is the, the content itself created for the, for the overall story and, and message you're trying to convey? So the first thing we do is actually a mind map. And the mind map starts with what's the main big idea of your presentation? What's the central argument that you're trying to move people towards? And around there, we'll basically collect points to support that big idea. We, are, we actually like to say we go and ask first. It's like we first think about the call to action. So from the big idea, which is your main reason why you're presenting, 
here's a call to action. That could be a question. That could be a demand. That could be an offer. But that question, demand, or offer at the end is what's going to align or the info that's going to be used to move that audience. So you need to make sure that's powerful. And from there, we build up all the supporting content to lead to that call to action to support that main idea. So we truly begin with the end in, end in mind, Byron, because the way that we think is like, at the end of the day, if you don't have a foundation, you don't have a compelling argument. Hmm. Let's talk about make anything interesting. How do you make something interesting that may not be interesting? And I want you to go back to that original Fortune 500 uh, interview that was an inspiration for you, an awful presentation you went through and sat through for a couple of hours, which was the inspiration for you starting both your company and writing the book. You know, Is it possible to make that very same content that you saw delivered, is it possible that, that the presenter could have made that interesting? Yes. And like the thing is, you can make things very interesting if you just perform or give statistics that are relatable to the audience. For example, Yes, or two days ago, I went to TEDxLSU, and they had this awesome talk by an underwater researcher. And the thing is, you know, to the general audience, underwater research, how interesting is that? But he gave some really cool stats that made it seem really real. For example, he was talking about how deep the ocean water is. Why do you care about that, right? And like the whole person, like, oh, that's cool. But then he started talking, like, how many people here have wanderlust and they travel a lot? And, you know, I raised my hand. And they said, well, think about this, the Empire State Building, Gulf of Mexico, it can literally take seven of these stacked right on top of each other to have the depth of that ocean. That's how vast this world is and how deep just that small world goes. And when he said that, everyone in the audience was like, wow, oh, my gosh. You know, he made underwater discovery something that's super interesting just by saying that relatable statistic or just that relatable fact. And so that's how you make things interesting. If you find ways when you deliver your information that other people can understand or at least see a scale, that's how you make things interesting. Hmm. How important are analogies and or metaphors to the art of great speaking and presentations? Man, when it comes to like the art of speaking and great presentations, you asked for the metaphor? When, it, when I think the art of making great presentations, could you be a little bit more specific on that question? Well, just analogies in general, you know, you know, as it turns out, as you start studying like neuroscience, you know, like, like when we make references to things that are understandable, um, ah. it, 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 it brings it to light. You know, you mentioned the Empire State Building, you know, um, you know, uh, metaphors are, are super powerful, bottom line. And I've, yeah, I've, they are. No, I know, 100% uh, the, the, Yeah. So thoughts on that, and do you, do you bake that into the actual content of, of a presentation? Do you try to find not only, not only cool examples, but, you know, using language, using analogies, you know, the type yep. of language you're using, the, the keywords you're using, the buzzwords, you know, how you connect with people. How important is that? And, and by the way, many people suck at, at understanding that. So when you're working with customers, are you doing the writing for them? Are you delivering these, these important elements to the presentation? and educating and acclimating them on the language they need to speak uh, to, to really resonate well with the, with the listeners. Yes, yeah, so we actually help build their presentation content, but we actually work with them to figure out the metaphors. And I find metaphors to be one of the most powerful ways of language communication because quite sim simply, it helps people understand complex, complex topics. And I, I love that. In any good presentation, the challenge is always, it sounds easy when it's executed, but the actual challenge is, how do we find out the audience 
And how do we create a metaphor that they would understand when it comes to this information? So while we can get like facts and statistics, the challenge is always what's the main thing the audience will understand? Like what's the context they would understand it in? Especially if you have a very complicated or a very complicated process, you know, it's very easy. For example, Elon Musk, when he like described the Hyperloop, he was he gave like basically the science behind it. But then I remember uh, in that interview that he was giving with the news news or the journalist, he then explained it very simplistically how you can get from one place to the other within this amount of time because it's like just air pressure or I forgot what it was, but he he made it very simple. That takes a lot of practice, and I I make sure like with any client that it comes through is that if they have very complex material, I always ask them, is there, do we run the risk of anyone in that room that might be alienated by this? And if there is, we find some kind of metaphor to make it a lot more understanding. And the reason why we do that is because people, other people can share that same metaphor. Because it's really hard to make things simple. And we want, and like when you make things very simple, it's a lot easier to be shared. Hmm. And by the way, I could talk with you about metaphors just so you know for like the next two hours. Um, but yes, <laughs> I'm sure we could. But I mean, if, if you look at politicians, for example, you know, they are constantly using metaphors. Uh, some of the ones I remember from way back, like Ronald Reagan, you know, but there are many mountains yet to climb. We will not rest until every American enjoys the fullness of freedom, dignity, and opportunity as our birthright, right? Um, so. Mm. You know, we're not going to actually go climb mountains together, you know, um, and so, but these metaphors are, are powerful um, and really interesting. Do you, have you thought about that? Have you, by the way, have you done any work with presentations by politicians? Have you analyzed any of that? We actually have like read speeches and, uh, you know, with us, that's maybe like an industry that we might go in the future. Is I actually wanted to think about like working with politicians to help them develop speeches as well. I think a personal interest of mine is to help work with politicians when they give big messages, even the good or the bad. That's a personal challenge that I would love to have one day. Well, it's you know it's extended into uh, brands and, and brand naming, of course, and in music as well. Look at like Elvis Presley. You know, you ain't nothing but a hound dog. You know, crying all the time, yeah. right? Um, or Michael Jackson, you know, uh, is this town, if this town is just an apple, then let me take a bite, you know, um, mm, you know just on and on that. and on, you know, uh, it never stops. I mean, even look at, at taglines, right, of, of companies. Um, I bet you could tell me every brand name of any, who's the king of beers? Who's the king of beers? Man, Budweiser. Right. You know, have it your way. Who says yeah. that? Right? Remember like, that one? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Have it your... Oh, my God. I haven't heard that. That was... Yeah, that one. See, I'm way. a little older than you are. Have it your way. Yeah. Burger King. Yeah, Burger King. Yeah. Okay. Like, uh, <laughs> Always there in a pinch. <laughs> That's... Uh, let's see who... Is that Skull? It is. Good one. Yeah, because I right. remember, like, I was, so I was in Louisiana... And I actually saw that because, uh, yeah. like, a lot of people actually dip down here, and I was like, I've seen that before. <laughs> I'm making you think today. It's fun. One more. Yeah, no, it's like a good challenge. Like, I'm sitting exactly. down here, like, in our conference room. I'm like, just like, I'm just putting my head back. I'm like, I've heard that before. It bothers me. Think outside the bun. One last one there for you. Think, think outside, outside the bun. The Happy Taco Bell. Uh, no, but it was at Subway from from a few years ago, actually. 
Uh, oh, but there's really? so yeah, yeah. That was they built. That was probably about four or five years they used that. But it was like back in the late '80s, I think, early '90s. Um, so think, outside think outside no, the bun. Think outside the bun. I'm that's pretty sure Taco Bell. No, let's, it's Taco Bell. Look. I remember this. Taco Bell yeah. might have stole that from. Let me. You know, you might be right. You might be right. I'll look it up. Um, how about Where's the Beef? This is an old one. But do you remember that whole campaign? Where's the Beef? Is that uh? That's not Wendy's. It is good it one. Is? Yeah, yes. no, I'm trying to think like they had that you know, that elderly, lovely elderly woman that had made that statement. Where's the beef? She was, uh, yeah, you know, commenting on smaller sides. And Wendy, of course, was like, uh, you know, gourmet fast food was really their 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 mantra, if you will. Um, and the actual advertising was, "Where's the beef?" So, you know. I guess my question for you with all of this is why is that important? You know, why are these metaphors? By the way, those were all metaphors, right? You know, all of those taglines, mm-hmm. all of those lines and songs. You know, is that important for speaking and for presentations? And and if so, what is it that connects listeners and, and fans to those metaphors? Why are they why are they able to why do they, are they put at ease or why are they connecting with a listener in a strange and mysterious way by the usage of these metaphors? Man, first I'll tell you straight up, Byron, it's because it's catchy. It's under hundred and forty characters uh-huh. because we live in a very digital age. Uh-huh. That kind of stuff can get very shared very easily. Mm-hmm. When you have like a brand that comes up with a very catchy phrase, example, just do it within hundred and forty characters, like you can expect that to be shared. So that's like well, I ever see great presentations, like after a conference, I see like those very powerful lines always get retweeted. Stuff that has pauses behind them, I see those get retweeted quite often because they're very simplistic and easy to understand. And can be very, context isn't really needed for those. You can just understand exactly what it means, philosophically, also what it means. Like it's just one of those powerful statements. For example, like when even Apple, like think different. Or even when Steve Jobs like came up there, he said, today Apple reinvents the iPhone. Those lines like that become immortalized because they're very simple, but they're very powerful. Almost slogans, if you think about it. That's what the power of slogans, metaphors, it's all the same thing at the end of the day. It's about creating these catchy phrases that people can revolve around themselves and you don't need context really to explain them. They're just cool, fun lines that make brands more personable. I want to take a break, everybody, back in just in a, just a few minutes to talk about this all-important next topic, which is shareology, really, just what we were talking about a second ago. Back in just a minute, everybody. Life Tips will be right back after this short break. Reinventing keyword research, simplifying campaign optimization, redefining competitive analysis, SpyFu brings you an entirely new way to find the most profitable keywords for your SEO and PPC campaigns. New tools, new data, and a brand new look. We've streamlined SpyFu so that you can optimize your search engine marketing more efficiently, more accurately, and more intuitively. Visit SpyFu.com, that's S-P-Y-F-U.com, and start downloading your competitors' keywords now. Try it free. Whether you are an online business or domain name investor, you need access to the best names. With over 270 million domains already registered, finding the right names at the best price requires a great wingman. Namejet.com puts you in the pilot seat by giving you fast and unparalleled access to some of the best premium and expired domain names on earth. 
As the number one domain name auction platform, Namejet.com is the best place to find domains for your business or investment. So light the afterburners to the domain name aftermarket and fly over to Namejet.com at mock speed to get great domains today. Namejet.com. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Conversion Conference, the can't-miss CRO event of 2016. Join over 750 people from dozens of countries gathering in Las Vegas, May 18th and 19th, for the biggest industry-wide conversion event ever. Four parallel tracks of top content will allow you to personalize the exact topics that you want to focus on. Interact with expert speakers at informal networking events and birds of a feather lunch table topics. Meet dozens of leading CRO companies face-to-face in the expo hall. Get hands-on with pre-conference workshops and master classes. Join us for fun activities such as zip lining and Tim Ash's after party in the presidential suite. Oh yeah, did we mention that it's in Vegas, baby? May 18th and 19th, Conversion Conference last year sold out fast and it's expected to sell out again. So don't miss it. Go to conversionconference.com for details right now. And now back to Life Tips. Making your life smarter, better, faster, and wiser. Here are your hosts. Welcome back, Kenny. Kenny, great to have you on the show today. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, man. All right, good stuff. Now, let's talk about sharing and sharing content. When you're building out a great presentation with a customer, using some of the tips and advice, of course, that you've well documented in the book, how important is sharing? And are you really literally going to try to say things and or put things up in your presentation that are shareable? And how do you determine what's really shareable? Can you predict oh, that? absolutely. Yes. Yeah, so like what, what I actually have in my speeches, if you actually look through the book, like certain lines that are power statements in there that are meant to be shareable. For example, when I give my keynotes, a shareable line that I have is like people always remember the presenter born in the presentation. That's very easy to remember or present what's in it for the world, not yourself. Stuff like that. You can see someone retweeting and just catching because it's very short, simple, sweet. And most of all, it's relatable. People can relate to that because everyone thinks of boring presentations and they're like, oh, that's so true. That's a stroke of insight. If I retweet this or share this, I look smart because I'm listening. And that's really what it is. In its simplest form, it's creating lines that can be shareable. If you intentionally do that for your presentations, it's much more easily to get picked up. And that's the thing is, you know, where Twitter, Facebook is great for us. SlideShare is another great avenue as well where we share all our presentations on it. And I find that if you intentionally make sure your presentation's like a campaign where you have easy lines to understand, no complex jargon, no complex acronyms, it doesn't need much context, you're more likely to get your presentation out there. That's where how the best TED Talks get picked up as well. It's like they just have easy, memorable lines, profound content as well. 
but it's easily able to be shared because it's easy to be talked about. Hmm. How much research really needs to go into the creation of, of content, in your opinion, to really find the good step, if you will? Man, it'll take me anywhere from like 15 hours or above when it comes to really great presentation content. Because the thing is, like with all this research and you have 30 minutes, you would honestly have over hours and hours of how to make a presentation. It's really the hardest part about research is condensing the research, not only of the topic, but also figuring out and researching your audience. What do they want to know about the most and what's in it for you and what's in it for them? That's always the hardest part is like if I have all this info and my responsibility is that I'm responsible for this audience's knowledge, that's really hard to like say if I have a 45-minute speech on a very complicated topic such as I have to go through my whole presentation process, how do I segment the important parts of that process within 45 minutes? So the research isn't just what's on the topic, but it's also on the audience as well. What are some of the characteristics of the best presentations that you could share with us today? You know, honestly, so I see presentations today, the best characteristics is one, storytelling, is I see storytelling becoming more prevalent than ever when it comes to great presentations because it builds emotional, it honestly builds emotional bonding and rapport with presenters and audiences. And that's great because it increases likability. Storytelling is one. Two, it's the use of showing and telling. I've been seeing more in presentations where people are being more creative. For example, over like the TEDxL shoe weekend, a lot of people are showing their projects with visuals or actually demoing. For example, one of the guys in there actually made puppets. And he was showcasing his passion for puppets. And rather than just telling us about it, he actually brought some puppets out and just made it so much more real when he interacted with them. That was super memorable, and that might actually be my favorite presentation from the whole event. But it's also about showing and telling. So storytelling, showing and telling, and best presentations always have a clear call to action. That's timeless, is that people will always know where to go. And I always find that openers, people that have great openers that are funny or humorous, those are great qualities of great presentation. Is that you find somewhere to interject humor a little bit to make a situation a little bit lighthearted where it's appropriate, that's always a great way to improve likability. How important is having passion for whatever it is you're presenting? Passion will only take you so far. It's about practicing that passion and communicating that passion. I know a lot of people that are very passionate on what they do, but they might not be the best presenters. And that just takes practice and rehearsal. And it also takes education, such as when you give a presentation, you're very passionate about something. You have to have a clear call to action where you want to lead people. You want to be up here likable as well. Just because you're passionate about something, why should I buy from you or believe in you? So passion will take you only so far. It's how you practice that passion that takes you the farthest. How much practicing do you need to do to really nail a presentation? How many many mock presentations, how many rehearsals, and what kind of audience do you need to really run through that properly? So when I did my TEDxLSU talk, I actually did my presentation 10 times, and I ended up scrapping it the day beforehand because I didn't love it. And that's the thing. That all comes with the processes. I record myself present every single time I go through dry runs. And what that helps me do is that if I can't stand this own presentation myself, why, would I, why should I let anyone else sit through it? And the thing is, like, I say, like, a good 10 to 15 times, and you can make it through the 10th time. Usually that's the indicator from what I've learned with any speech I've given. And you're like, wow, this is still a really fun presentation. 
And even if I screw up somewhere in my lines or my script, I can recover like it's natural. I'm good to go. However, the, by, by that 10th time, you're like, man, this is really not that interesting. That's when you have to reflect and think, okay, maybe should I do something different? So, you know, there's no magic number for, for me. It's always between the seven to 10, the 10 times of rehearsals. You mentioned you changed your presentation completely before you actually did your, your, yeah. your TED Talk. Um, so how did that work? And, and do you believe that there is this element of clarity that pressure puts you under that, I mean, I've, mm. I've, I've changed my presentation many times before I presented. Amen. Right? It, it's yeah. just, you know, it's like your brain thinks a little different way. You're starting to maybe see yourself on the stage at the conference the next day. Like all of a sudden it's not far out anymore. It's like tomorrow or like in four hours yeah. and, and, Gosh, I can't believe that I was going to say that. That sucks. I'm taking that out. You know, yeah. what is it about that pressure that you're under and why it might help you to have more either empathy for your audience because they're all of a sudden a little bit more real? You know, what is it and how, how common do you think that is? I actually think it's very common. The reason why it's a piggyback on what I said beforehand is when you rehearse yourself seven to ten times, eventually within the seven to ten times when you watch it, you view it more as an audience member rather than yourself critiquing yourself. Mm -hmm. And by that point, that's when you start thinking, okay, maybe this isn't as good as I thought I was. It takes a while for you to step back and say, okay, maybe, you know, there should be a change because you're always critiquing yourself. But once you're able to push your shoes in the audience, you're like, Ooh, I don't know if I like this. Or it's like, there's something obvious where it's like, maybe that didn't make sense in there. Maybe I should have phrased this. Within that time, that's when you can start realizing that clarity. Pressure definitely adds to that as well, is that you want to do the best job as possible for the audience. So if you can't stand as an audience member after the seven or ten time you watch yourself deliver it, chances are, you know, there, there needs to be some big, drastic presentation changes in there. And I always find that pressure was the best motivation for me, is that I knew everyone wants to see me succeed. People pay money for me to go out and speak. So the pressure of me has always been positive. And whether it's for like investments or like keynotes, like anything that we've done, you know, pressures has excelled us because we always thought if we nail this, this is what can happen. And that's always like been the motivating like wind behind our backs. Tell us what, what, what people feel when they really nail a presentation, when they really master this, they put, they put it to work, what you've outlined so wonderfully in the book. What does that feel like? Man, when so can you phrase that question, or can you say that question again? Well, Sorry. yeah, just how do people feel when they know they've, you know, do you know you've nailed a presentation, and if so, how do you feel? And uh, you know, when you really can swoop the audience and, and and teach and educate and get people moving in the right direction, and you get compliments uh -huh. afterwards, you know, what does that feel like? Explain that to us so we can <laughs> shoot for the moon. It's the best high you can get, man. Straight up. Like it feels a sense of accomplishment. It's a performance. When you go up there, I always think of every single one of my presentation and keynotes. For example, I'm going to speak at uh, for Google Talks later this, later this month, and I'm so excited, but I treat it like a performance. Like, you know, you go in there like a professional. You prepare like a professional, and you act like you've been here before, just mentally. It's all about the mentality game with presentations, too. It's like right before you step on stage, if you beat yourself up beforehand, there's no chance of winning. It's all about being able to say, you know what, I'm committed to making this great, and you know yourself are great. You have to have a lot of self-confidence 
when you go up and be a great presenter. You have to know that the people out there want to listen to you. You have to know that it's okay to make mistakes because at the end of the day, it's like stand-up. You know, you go out there and you're just really putting your heart out there. It's all about, like, knowing and being comfortable within yourself. Tell us how you work, your company works. I'm curious. Um, you know, you get involved in, in helping people create presentations and actually, you know, walking them through the logic. How do you work with somebody? So the way that we normally work is people come to us and say, hey, I have a big presentation, or I want you to revamp our presentation culture. And I always start off with content. Do you need help coming up with the presentation content? Or do you have a bank of content that you can work from? If you don't, we'll help develop that content for you through a list of questions. Next, once that content is finalized, we go to design, the second step. And we design around the content. And we create either content specific to that presentation or content that's great for that bank of content that we created. And finally, the third step is once the design and content is finalized, we work with the presenters to make sure they can deliver it, either through A, workshops, B, we actually do one-on-one coaching, or C, creating documents basically explaining or videos how can we best deliver these presentations. And so content design delivery, I mean, at the end of the day, everything that we do, we want to become an experience. So that's really the Big Fish presentation experience in a nutshell. Hmm. Everything that we wrote in the book buyer is exactly how we operate as a company. No surprises. Right on. Well, Kenny, it's been a joy and pleasure talking with you today, and I want to appreciate your time and, and your insights. Yeah, thank you for having me, and hopefully a lot of this can help people make amazing presentations as well. Fantastic. I have two final questions. Who would you like to get a hold of you, and how can they get a hold of you? So they can get a hold of me at Kenny, K-E-N-N-Y, BigFishPresentations.com, and anyone that has like a tech startup with a big idea that's hoping to have that big pitch for investment, or even walking on the TED stage with your big moment, come talk to us. I mean, we work with, we work with TED, actually. We still do, actually, work with TED, which is cool. Um, it's just come to us if you have a big moment and you need help to make sure you're heard. That's what we do. Terrific. Well, once again, thanks for being with us today, Kenny. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Byron, for having me. Right on. Hope everyone's a little smarter, better, faster, and wiser when it comes to presentations. And thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.